Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Student Pilot Cast, Episode 9. What's it like to be a new pilot? Or the Pilot PJ interview. Chandler Tower, Cherokee 4121 Tango's at Chandler Air Service. We have Zulu, and uh, we'd like a south departure, please. First of all, I'd like to thank everyone who's left comments on the website or sent me email. It's very encouraging to hear from you and get feedback on what you like and don't like, so keep the comments coming. I've noticed that many of you who've contacted me are future student pilots who have yet to start your training. I wanted to send out a message just for those of you who are in this situation and let you know that there are many people out there in the same boat, and many who have been in the same boat, including me. If any of you have any questions whatsoever about training, please send them to me, and I'll try to answer on, on the podcast in one of the episodes, either from firsthand knowledge or I'll reach out to somebody who knows or get feedback from several different people. I want to make sure that I'm addressing issues and questions that pr- prospective student pilots may have, since uh, a large portion of my audience, I believe, are, are people like that. It's likely that others have the same questions, so let's address some of them in, in the podcast. So send me any questions or issues that you'd like me to address, and I'll get on it. Okay, so let's get on with this episode. This one's going to be quite a bit different than usual. I met someone online who's a relatively new pilot as of about 10 months ago, and while I was struggling with my landings, PJ sent me some great tips that worked well for him and also mentioned that he'd love to talk to me anytime about flying or how he's using his pilot privileges or basically anything that has to do with aviation. Well, I took him up on his offer because I thought it'd be interesting to talk to someone who's recently in the same position as me, or in other words, working his butt off in training. We had a chance to talk about several different topics, and I think this should be pretty interesting to all of you. If you're a podcast junkie like I am, you may recognize PJ from his interview on Will Hawkins' Pilot Flight Podlog for Episode 4. I want to publicly thank PJ for taking the time to share some of his experiences with us and for his candor and willingness to help anyone who asks, basically. I need to also comment on the quality of the recording. I'm a newbie to this format or style of podcast. So I'm still working out the kinks of my recording equipment and techniques for a guest. So the quality of the audio for this interview is not stellar, but it is my first try at this. But it shouldn't be too bad. You shouldn't have too difficult a time hearing this. If I do future episodes using a similar format, I'll work on getting better audio. So with that, let's hear from PJ. Our first meeting, if you will, was on uh, Pilots of America message board. I did. I had heard your your interview with Will Hawkins, but I didn't put it together until much later. And you know, PJ. How many people are named PJ, right? Right. So. <laughs> There's not too many of us uh, pilot PJs out there. That's right. So um, the reason the reason we met on there, I think, is I was sort of uh, I'd been lurking there for months and finally posted that, hey, I was starting my training and I was going to be doing a, a, a podcast about learning. And I think you piped up and um, uh, talked about it. And then I think in one, in one uh, episode that I had, I mentioned that, hey, I'd like to talk to other people. I was, I was struggling at the time with landings. 
And, and everybody goes through that at one point or another. <laughs> I, I would think so. Yeah. So I was I was struggling. I was a little frustrated with myself, and I I kind of I guess I kind of let that come through on one of my episodes. And you responded and said. You know, you gave me some great tips, uh, some stuff that helped you, and you also mentioned that at some point you would be happy to come on and and uh, talk to me on on or off the podcast about flying. And oh yeah, I'm always happy to talk about flying. It doesn't, doesn't take much to get me going there. My girlfriend gets tired of hearing about it, so uh, she's glad when I get to talk to other people. You know, care about it. Yeah, I think everybody around me gets kind of tired of hearing about it too. But uh, it sounds like you had—I've—I've I've heard you talk, and I've heard you—you know—I've listened to your uh, your other interview with Will, and it sounds like you had a mentor, right? Well, I, I kind of—I like to think of myself as a mentor. I have a mentor myself uh, through the AOPA Project Pilot Program. Right. Um, there's a local student pilot who I'm uh, helping mentor, a guy named Rick, who's uh, post solo. I need to actually call him. It's been a couple weeks since I chatted, but he, he's um he's coming right along too. And I actually met him via the podcasting world. He and I met on the uh, uncontrolled airspace forums, and it just turns out he lives in the area. So he didn't get together for drinks every so often and hang or fly, but. Uh, yeah, it's like I enjoy teaching. I was just telling you off the air that my day job involves teaching people how to use computer software. And I mean, I deal with the health club industry and not the most computer literate people there, so it is a bit challenging that way. But I really get a lot of joy out of teaching people. And, uh, you know, combining two things I'm really, you know, glad to do, teaching and aviation, is going to be great. In fact, I'm studying for my AGI certificate right now, my advanced ground instructor. Oh, great. So I can start to teaching some ground school stuff and uh, get paid to teach. So. <laughs> Amazing. But you know, then I'm happy to do it as a mentor. Yeah, I've, I've heard several people, I think uh, Stephen Force on his podcast talked about getting that certification. I don't recall that episode, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Stephen did. He seems like the topic Or was planning uh, on it. I think he was planning on it. I don't think he has yet. But uh, yeah, I've heard that a couple of times now. So what's entailed? Well, I think uh, I think getting a multi and a DC three type reading has kind of gotten him a little bit busier <laughs> than uh, studying for an AGI exam. It sounds, I, I'd, I'd much rather prioritize the DC three than AGI myself. That, that's true. So I can't say you blame him. So, so tell me, I'm curious, what's involved in getting that AGI? Well, really, it's two written exams. You have to do the fundamentals of instructing exam unless you hold a state teaching certificate. Uh, and that's the same exam that any flight instructor gets. And then you also have to pass a, the, the advanced ground instructor's written exam, which essentially uses the same uh, question bank as the certified flight instructor written exam. And so you, you just take two written tests, you take the results to the local flight standards district office and get signed off, and they just mail you a certificate saying that you're an advanced ground instructor now. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to provide ground instruction for any certificate up to including commercial. You can provide some, right now you can provide ground instruction and I think uh, sign off simulator time for instrument students. But uh, I think they're going to change that so you have to be an instrument ground instructor to do the instrument stuff. Huh. But uh, there's, uh, there's three levels there. It's a BGI, B, uh, basic ground instructor, AGI, advanced ground instructor, and instrument ground instructor. Okay. Uh, just going straight for the advanced. And do you have to be a pilot to be uh, an advanced ground instructor? 
absolutely not. Um, you, anybody can do it. So all you have to do is just get the study materials, read the books, and have the knowledge and pass the test. Yeah. But I, granted, uh, it does give you a little more credibility if you are an actual pilot. I would and, think. Yeah, I would think. Yeah. I, I ask because... Uh, it would be kind of awkward to stand in front of a class of people saying, well, I've never actually done this, but um, <laughs> you know, I heard that if you turn the yoke left, it kind of banks that way. That's true. So when we first started chatting through email, you were giving me some tips on landings. And the reason okay. for that, as I explained earlier, was that I was, I was a little bit frustrated with my performance and my ability to pick that up. Um, I've since had several breakthroughs, and I've had tips from lots of people, including the, I think I've got, I think I've got somewhere around five or six different CFI signatures in my logbook just because of how things have worked out. So I've flown with a lot of different instructors, and I always pick up something new. I think I'm up to eight or nine in my logbook. Is that right? Well, I've, I've, I'm only I'll, at about... I'll talk more about that in a minute, but... Okay. Ahead. I'm only at uh, about 22 hours, so I've still got time to catch up to you. But anyway, I was, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind uh, talking about if you can remember. Um, so you've had your ticket for just under a year, right? Yeah, it's just about uh, 10 months now. I got it on August 15th of 2007. And, okay. uh, you know, as we record this, it's uh, beginning of June of 08. So, yeah, it's just about 10 months now I've had my certificate. Yeah, and yeah, I'm a 75-hour private pilot. I uh, earned my certificate at 53 hours. Uh, did my first solo at 21 hours. Landings, you know, they kind of come and go, really. Uh, like anything, the more you practice them, the better you are at them. Just, uh, just getting out there and being repetitive. I mean, uh, just you know, a couple weeks ago, I got out there and, and bounced the land myself. So unfortunately, you can't log test. But uh, something tells me you probably can because you do touch the ground twice. But anyway, <laughs> digress a little bit there. But you know, landings. It's just the, the trick is people put so much emphasis on landing, and because that is really you know what people. Perceive that's the last impression they have of how good of a pilot you are. Right. And so you, you know, pilots always put a good pressure, good a lot of pressure on them on themselves for that. Uh, just even just think about this passenger on airline flight. You know, come in and everybody comments on how good or how rough that landing was. Right. And so that's that's just the last impression people have. That's the only thing they remember. That's that's true. Um, that that's true. Um, but I think the pressure I was putting on myself was that it was the only thing that I didn't feel like I was progressing very fast at. Right. And I guess, it, you know, for some people, I guess it's not very challenging. Um, for others, like me, it was the most challenging part of my early training. Yeah, so. I wouldn't say it was the most challenging part for me, but it was it was pretty challenging. And like I said, it goes to, to different parts. I mean, they, they, it goes in waves. Sometimes you, you spend three weeks making perfect features every time and then one day you go out there and it's like you're you know, you're on your first discovery flight again um really i think the, the trick is and what i told you is don't overthink it you yeah. know um don't don't get caught up in the minutiae of what to do when okay you, just, you know what you want the airplane to do just make the airplane do it yeah and so when you uh you know get down there don't think of it so much as putting yourself into a flare and raising the nose. Um, you want to you think of it as lowering the tail and then just also just leveling off and just like, keep level above the runway as, as long as you can. You don't want to climb at all. You just want to take and hold yourself off the runway as long as you can. And this, naturally, the plane will want to stop flying on its own and your main wheels will touch down and just keep that nose wheel off as long as you can. Yeah. Unless you have the nose wheel in the wrong place. And, you know, <laughs> 
you which way you want to land. That's right. I'll tell you one of the things that, uh, I don't know if this was like this for you, but one of the things that um, really, um, you know, helped was starting my soft and short field landings and takeoffs. Because I spent about a week, maybe two weeks, where I didn't even do a normal approach and landing. I was always either doing short or soft field. And last, I think it was last Saturday, I went out on a, a solo, local solo flight where I was going to do some, you know, air work practice and some, uh, I think... Oh, by the way, I meant to tell you before when we started, uh, congratulations on the first solo, man. Welcome to the club. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was, it, was a, uh, it was a big accomplishment. I was very happy. But, you know, the thing that made me feel most like I'm really becoming a pilot was that first solo away from the pattern. Yes, where, where, where from beginning to end, and I haven't, I don't think I've commented that, I haven't released an episode yet about that flight, I don't think, but, um, but I'm telling you, that was the time where I, I thought, I am really a pilot. <laughs> and, uh, and then shortly after that, I started um, uh, doing, with my instructor, uh, short and soft field landings, and it wasn't until, I think last Saturday, when I was on a solo flight, I did my first normal approach and landing in probably a week and a half. And I'm flying, I'm trying to fly at least three times a week. There's been weeks where I've gotten four flights in. So that's quite a few flights where I haven't done a normal approach and landing. And, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, it was, it was like nothing all of a sudden because I guess while I was practicing shorts and softs, I was so concentrate, you know, I was concentrating so much on the different techniques that I need to use and thinking about, you know, how much power do I need to add here and so on that going back to a normal landing felt like, um, you know, it was just something that was really easy to do. And I guess not having that pressure on myself uh, just made it really easy for me. And I hope that holds up. I hope that continues. But uh, I think it will. And the more you practice the certain soft field landing techniques, and, I mean, that's just that those are things that require a little bit more finesse. Right. Uh, but, I mean, you know, landing a plane normally takes a little bit of finesse, too. And, you know, the trick is, I mean, you know, a good landing starts well before you're in the airport pattern. Okay. You just want to make sure you complete your checklist and you go through, read through all the checklists, even if you know the stuff down pat, just read through the checklist one more time before you get into the pattern. That way it's all committed memory and just go on your flows while you're in the pattern. And as you go through the pattern, just, you know, make sure you hit those numbers. You know, when you're being the runway numbers, you know, reduce your throttle, hold your altitude, let your airspeed get off, start bringing in the flaps, come around to, to the base, you know, check final, check your car pee, check everything else, and just set yourself up. Make sure you're at the right airspeed at the right times and just adjusting with power for your altitude. And then, you know, pitch for your airspeed. And then you'll just come in and just, it, the plane will land itself. Yeah. You know, just about. Just hold it off, hold it off, hold it off, right? Exactly. <laughs> Keep the nose wheel off the ground as long as you can. Well, great. Uh, so now, that's the two things. It keeps uh, additional stress from being put on the nose wheel, and two, it, it uh, helps in your aerodynamic braking. You have that uh, elevator up in the air. It acts like a spoiler. Yep. Yep. So you had mentioned earlier that landing probably wasn't your most challenging part of your early training, so I was wondering if you remember what was the most challenging part and how you dealt with it. Well, the most challenging part of my early training was taxiing, believe it or not. Um, Interesting. You know, for those who aren't, aren't familiar, you know, taxiing an airplane is not like driving a car. I mean, the airplanes, first of all, are not meant to be driven around on the ground, but, you know, 
uh, when you're taxiing a light airplane, you're steering with your feet and you're using your hands for the gas. You know, your brakes, you have different brakes on each foot. You know, different, you have a left brake and a right brake. And it's just, it takes a lot of getting used to uh, to do that. The first few times out, I actually had to literally sit on my hands to keep from turning the yoke to try to steer the plane. Yeah. Well, I had similar problems. I don't know if you remember, I think it was my maybe third podcast or my third episode or so. I talked about the same thing where you just, if I'm holding on to that yoke, I was trying to turn with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, the instructor had to tell me that's not going to be any good. you got to use your feet. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it took me a while to learn that. So. It's hard It's hard to break all those habits, right, that we've learned it, from absolutely. autos. Absolutely. It's getting green. Now it's, now it's like nothing. I mean, it's, it's easy as pie. But Yeah, I don't think uh, about it anymore yeah. whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the point of training. It's just, just to ingrain you in these things that, that will, you have to think about them and really concentrate first, but then it just becomes a second nature. Yeah. I guess another challenging thing for me was really, I think, I'm just trying to think back to what was truly challenging. And, you know, everybody plateaus at a certain point. And I think, oh, ground reference maneuvers, those were those were a bit of a challenge for me until I got that advice to just, you know, don't don't get bogged down in the minutiae of, of, okay, well, at this point on the downwind leg, I have to have this type of bank angle and, and uh, hold altitude and keep this airspeed. It's just that, you know, I got the advice to, to just draw a line, imaginary line across the ground and just make the plane do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I just did that, I just was able to look at ground references and go for it. Who's in control, right? Exactly. <laughs> Don't so, let the airplane fly you. You don't fly that airplane. That's right. So um, let me ask you this. Did you find that sometimes uh, you did some of your best work when there was nobody in the right seat? Oh, absolutely. I, I think oh, it's that way. You always get, you always do your best things when there's no one around to see it. It's it's uh, sort of psychological, isn't it? It is. It's like you know. That's that's I guess part of the reason you do that is you pressure yourself to try and impress this person. That's it. And then you right seat, and, and then uh, you wind up, you know, just just getting bogged down the minutiae, like I said, and 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 messing things up. Yeah. You know, I've had some of my best landings with no one in the right seat. One of the most fun things, I think, is coming in and doing a no-flap uh, forward slip to land. There's no one in the right seat next to you to, to kind of get uneasy about the Right. Type of, but, right. you know, I, I was a cocky son of a gun. I just took in, actually, my third uh, solo landing. You know, my first solo flight, I, I did it twice around. My third one, I came in and did a, a, a slip to land. My instructor about had a heart attack. You, 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 <laughs> did, a short, you did a short approach from downwind to beam? I didn't, didn't do, I didn't do a short approach. I did okay. a normal approach, okay. but I just didn't uh, put any flaps in. I just kind of brought see. the power way back and held the altitude. And you know, the plane is very slippery without those flaps out there. Yeah, just have to keep holding, holding back on that yoke to keep the airspeed down. And just slip it down it. You did it just for fun. Oh yeah, I just did it for fun, and you know, it's probably my best landing of the day. <laughs> just grease it right on. Nice and soft, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, it tell me wonderful. what. Uh, motivated you to get your license last year? It was more of a, just a personal thing. I mean, there's nobody, I, I'm the first pilot in my family. I don't come from an aviation background at all. Um, I guess I've always been kind of fascinated by airplanes since I was a little kid. And you know, when I was in high school, I was looking at, you know, opportunities to go in the Navy and stuff to become a career pilot afterwards. But then I kind of lost sight of that for some whatever reason. I wanted to go into school for TV radio stuff, which I also lost sight of. But 
you know, I got my degree in that, and I just kind of left flying for a while. But then I got out of college, and I started playing Microsoft Flight Sim again. And I was like, you know, this stuff's pretty cool. I might try it out for real. I mean, it just becomes an addiction. You get bitten by the bug, as they say, and yeah. you just can't get enough of it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't come from an aviation family either. As a matter of fact, when I was, I think I mentioned this in in my first episode as well. But when I was a young kid, maybe ten years old, I was already fascinated with aviation and learning as much as I could. Uh, my my parents, nobody in my family flies and uh, has any interest in it. And then, as a matter of fact, my parents are somewhat scared of it when it comes to light airplanes, light general aviation airplanes. And uh, so I was never much. I was always encouraged to do anything I wanted and they would have supported me if I'd pushed it but I never got any external uh, you know, uh, support from them because I think in the back of their mind they weren't real happy with my fascination with aviation. So I you know, I kind of came and went and came and went and uh, like you I just eventually, you know w- w- you can only be an aviation nerd for so long before you have to get in a plane and do it, right? Absolutely, that's, that's the thing it just drives yourself crazy if you don't and, you know, my parents, I mean, I don't think they're, they've ever really been afraid to fly. And, you know, everybody gets a little bit uneasy about the light airplanes because they see the negative reports in the news and stuff. Right. And, you know, and, and my parents are of the mind that, you know, if you're the one at the controls, we know you're not going to do anything stupid to, to endanger us. Right. And we're, we're confident in your abilities. Right. So you're fine. I've taken my mother flying twice. Uh, once or two weeks after I got my license, I got checked out in a plane in Pittsburgh where they live. And um, I took uh, my my father and then my brother and his fiance were visiting, and I took them up, and I took my uh, sister and then my mom and a friend of her family. Just well, hopped the rides one day and that, all around. Got some great, uh, just you know, you know, sightseeing around the uh, downtown Pittsburgh area. The class B was real accommodating there. Yeah, that's a that's a great segue. So. Um, I can't wait to be able to do that, just to take friends and family and so just give them a taste of that. And, uh, you know, is that is that one of the things you enjoy most now that you can do that? And was oh, it part absolutely. of your motivation? I think I've flown two solo flights since I've got my license. I think that's it. Yeah, since I got my license 10 months ago, I've flown twice solo. And now it's just to go to and from another airport to pick up a friend. <laughs> yeah, so go from my home base to a different airport to pick them up, and then go somewhere else. Part of the fun is sharing um, it with somebody you so care about. Yeah, I love sharing it. I, I've taken, let's see, my very first flight after getting my license, I took my girlfriend. Uh, I live in the Houston area, or we live in the Houston area, and I took. She went to school in San Antonio, and so we uh, jumped in the plane the, the six days after, or three or four days after I got my license. Jumped in the plane and, and took off and went to San Antonio International and uh, landed there. And her old uh, college roommate and her husband picked us up. We went and had uh, some good barbecue for lunch and brought us back to the airport, jumped back in the plane and flew back to, to Sugarland, you know, outside of Houston here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was just great. That was, that was probably the, the best point of my flying career to date was just taking her in the plane. So, you know, after I got my license. And that was just a, that was literally days after you got your newly minted ticket, right? Mm-hmm. That was it. I was, was just getting my ticket wet for the first time. And, um, you know, she's not the, as into aviation as I am, um, which is kind of an understatement. But she uh, she does appreciate it, but she, she'd rather, you know, if I'm just go flying for fun, then she'd rather I take someone else who might appreciate it more who hasn't done it yet. 
Oh, so yeah. uh, I've only taken her one other time, and that was uh, last or a couple weeks ago. I took her, and I took her parents and her brother uh, on hot rides there, and that was another big accomplishment because uh, you know her mother is, is definitely afraid of heights, oh. and so she actually got in the plane with me and, and did very very well. But right. no, I mean, I've taken several friends. I've uh, you know taken my family, taken my girlfriend's family. Um, and then, you know, just in different areas of the country, I'll just jump in a plane with an instructor and go sightseeing around a little bit. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you remember your your first ever flight in a light airplane? Oh, yes. Uh, absolutely. Um, I uh, My first time in a light airplane was actually my Discovery flight. Actually, I should say my first one. I've done seven Discovery flights. <laughs> before having my, uh, my uh, in my current position now, I, before this, I used to travel around the country quite a bit, uh, you know, visiting different client facilities. And one of the things I would do in those areas is, you know, I wouldn't have anything to do in the evenings, so I'd stop by the local airport, get an instructor, and do a Discovery flight. And so that's how I got about nine different instructors in my logbook. You had it bad, didn't you? Oh, yeah. It adds up, so... Um, but yeah, you know, I've got. In fact, uh, one of them was out of Deer Valley, right near you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Across uh, across Phoenix from me. Yep. Um, so anyway, your first, very first flight. You always remember your first one. Um, as they say, the plane was a uh, Cessna 172. I believe it was an N model. Uh, the tail number was uh, 756 Alpha Whiskey. Remember that to this day, and I remember the instructor's name was Jim Holmes. Wow. Um, where were you? Just remember the details. It was at uh, David Wayne Hooks Airport, in, uh, just out north of the Houston area. Okay. Uh, on a flight school called the United Flight Systems. And um, it was in uh, 2004, I want to say, February of 2004. And it was the morning before I was actually flying to Pittsburgh to go see my uh, see my parents. So I was, you know, the, the Hooks Airport is up on the north side of town where the big airport, the big commercial airport is. Uh, different airports, but it's you know it's up the same side of town. Mm-hmm. So I was able to go up there, just uh, you know, take a flight lesson. Just go. We went up over uh, Lake Conroe and did some sightseeing around. And he just uh, he knew I was really into the flight sim stuff uh, from talking to me beforehand and helped him with the pre-flight. Loaded me up in the plane, and I was really surprised that I was on the left seat. I just figured that you know he'd be flying the plane, and we get up to the altitude. He said, "Okay, you know, now you could touch it." <laughs> I don't think CFIs know how to fly from the left. No, I did. I think they lost that skill. <laughs> yeah. But no, they. Um, yeah, I got in the left seat and started up, and he had me taxi, which was my first misadventure with <laughs> trying to drive my feet. <laughs> and um, I took off. You know, I actually was on the control turn to take off. I think he was shadowing me to you. I'm not sure how much he was actually helping me, but um, took off and made my left pattern around and departed to the north and got to altitude and cruised up a bit. And um, I was asking about stalls, if they're scary, and what, what you know, how, how what goes into one. And he says, well, you want to do one? Sure, fine. <laughs> so he took over the control of the plane and did a power-off stall. I was like, oh, that was nothing. Huh. And so then, do, um, do you remember what you were kind of thinking as you lifted off? I mean, were you just so excited you can't remember? I or? wasn't. It's just a, you, you don't think. And that's what he's like, I've done it hundreds of times in the flight sim. You know, I've done it in all different types of planes. I, you know, I went through all the lessons in the flight sim for the 172 for private certificate. It's a lot more sensory feedback, though, when you're doing it for real. Exactly. It's, it's, it's sensory overload. Yeah. You're doing it for real. It's just completely different. And it's just like, okay, you, 
you know the procedures down pat in the sim because you get trained by the you know, Ron Machado and the little you know, flight sim lessons. Right. And you just go through the checklist, okay, you know, 55 knots, rotate, and, and your brain just goes to mush when you get on the real plane and you're <laughs> on that runway and you hear the words clear for takeoff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I came back and I actually landed the plane my very first time. Really? Yeah, that first Discovery flight. I was I was on the controls for landing. We came in on one seven right, the big runway. So it's a seven thousand footer. So and uh, I think it was like hundred and fifty feet wide or so. And so not much chance for me to screw up too bad that the instructor couldn't recover. Yeah, <laughs> but um, pretty big target. But no, I came in and um, I actually had a fairly decent landing. You know. I just went downhill from there because <laughs> I started thinking about it too much. <laughs> yeah, because you weren't you weren't expecting to have a good landing, so you didn't need to put a lot of pressure on yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so I go, okay, just do it like the sim, and, and um, just kind of hold it off, hold it off, and it's just the thing is too, you just you sensory overload because you can see so much more. Yeah. And you're looking outside, and you have the then you have all the sensory input. And well, and you can feel it too, and there's a lot of variation. You know, things are changing all the time. Absolutely. And so, you know, then I had that discovery flight, and then and I didn't have the money to actually start lessons then. So I, it took a couple of years, and I'd done many discovery flights all over the country there, like the Deer Valley and Spirit of St. Louis Airport, Missouri, and uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Just uh, various places all around. And um, finally, I finally saved up a little bit of money and started lessons, and I uh, started with United Flight Systems out of Hooks Airport. And um, quickly ran out of money <laughs> after that happened. wasn't well prepared for that. Yeah. So then it was uh, a couple more years before I was able to come back again. And in the meantime, I met the owner of a flight school out of Sugarland, which was actually closer to my house. Um, still a towered airport, but it's smaller. Um, didn't spend so much. You wouldn't spend so much time on the ground. Uh-huh. And um, so I wound up uh, finishing my training there. Okay. Great. Right. So Kind of did like you're doing. It. Uh, I started around March or April of uh, last year, and um, you know I wanted to have to take out a little bit of a loan to, to uh, fund it, but I was able to fly, you know, try to fly three or four times a week. Yeah, makes and, a big uh, difference, doesn't office. it? Oh, absolutely. You forget so much less between lessons. Yeah. So I guess you did it. Let's see, April of last year. So you did it. I get. Yeah, you did it about the same time that I'm. I'm projecting it'll take me. So uh, that's great. You got lots of different. Uh, you got a, you, you got lots of half hour entries though, right? Yeah, I do have a lot of uh, little half hour entries and one hour entries, but uh, it's good because you know, it's um, gives a different perspective. And you know this too because you've you're up. You've done so many different instructors, but it's just, you just get a different perspective each time. Absolutely, you learn something a little bit different from each one. Yeah. Well, I, lo- I lost an instructor to uh, the airlines, right. um, and he was an instructor. It's a it's a pretty busy flight school um, and FBO that I that I fly out of. They have uh, man, well, I it's think pretty typical in that area because there's a lot of commercial training there. There are these guys don't do as much commercial training. It's more of the FBO style, um, okay. but they uh, I mean they do they do commercial, but they're not one of the uh, schools that's. Um, Training well, the pilot mills. Yeah, exactly. They're not aiming at the at the uh, airline pilot market. That's not really what right. they go after. They do do a lot of training though for the uh, for the government. They have contracts with the federal government for um, border patrol, and you know they do they do a lot of professional training, but they're not really aimed at the um, 
uh, airline pilot market. But they uh, they have a lot of planes, and I think somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 30. And they do a lot of aerobatic training, lots of tailwheel, um, very diverse. You know, it's kind of it's kind of a fun place to go because there's lots of different types of planes. So they have a lot of instructors, and my instructor that I had before he left, he didn't work on weekends, and uh, that's a good time for me to fly. So I started flying uh, once in a while on Saturdays with a with another instructor. So that got. Uh, uh, that got me some different perspectives. That was really great. And then, and then he left, and I and I got with a new primary instructor who also doesn't work on weekends. <laughs> so I've also flown with uh, with another guy, a different guy who does work on weekends. Plus, I've had a stage check, which was one of the chief pilots. So that was a different one. And I actually have my stage two stage check coming up uh, in two days on Friday morning. And so are you doing a 141 program then? I am, yeah. It's, in a, it's a 141 program with four stages in their syllabus. Okay. I did a 61 program, uh, so it's more of a you know, learn-as-you-go type of thing. But uh, right. I did have... Uh, but everybody four, uses four some check. syllabus. Everybody uses some syllabus. It just doesn't necessarily... Uh, it's not one that's, that they've had specifically approved by the FAA, that's all, you know. Right. And, I mean, we used uh, the King School's Cessna right. uh, Pilot Center course. Right. And, um, you know, so I had to put up with their brain of humor for the entire time. But it kept <laughs> things interesting, and, and it really helped remember stuff, even though the jokes were really corny. <laughs> There's and, method uh, to the madness, right? Over the pop. Say again? There's method to the madness. Oh, yeah. And, um, but I did have a stage check, so after my first solo flight, I went up with a different instructor. Um, he just kind of brought me through the, the primary maneuvers and the paces there, just kind of see where I was at with stuff. And, um, you know, once I got you know, signed off with that, then I was able to, uh, you know, proceed on with the short and soft landings and the cross-country planning. Right. Yeah, it's, I find it interesting. I haven't really talked to anybody about this before, but I just kind of thought about it in my own mind. It's It's interesting to me that... The Part 141 schools have a five-hour difference in the minimum flight time requirements from the FAA for getting your ticket, but there's just no possible way you use all of that up in your stage checks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I have yet to meet a single person who came even close to finishing it in the prescribed minimums. Right, right. I've heard of a few people uh, doing it in the 40s, but I've never heard of anybody doing it in the you know high 30s at a Part 141 school. I just don't know how that's possible to get everything in, you know. No, but, uh, I mean, you know, and plus the fact that you don't want to train to just the minimum standards. You want to train to the, mass, the, the best proficiency you can. Right. And that's going to take a little bit extra time. Yeah. Yeah, of course, we have our whole flying careers ahead of us to get more and more uh, adept, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that that brings me to another question. What are you doing in aviation today? What are you doing these uh, days that uh, keeps you keeps you excited about it? Well, I'm paying for my private license. No, that's not the exciting part. No, uh, no. The exciting part. Well, I, like I said, I am. Uh, I get to fly a few hours a month um, right now. Cause, like I said, I'm paying for the private license, so I'm, I'm just just paying fly a little bit as the budget allows. Um, so, like I said, I'm not getting as much stick time as I'd like to, but I'm I'm staying up to maintain legal currency and taking friends up for rides and going hundred dollar hamburgers every so often. Uh, I am heavily involved in a uh, local flight museum. 
It's called the uh, 1940 Air Terminal Museum. It's over at Hobby Airport, and it's actually the uh, original uh, Art Deco Air Terminal building uh, for Houston's Municipal Airport. Huh. That was built in 1940. And so we do a monthly uh, fly-in event called Wings and Wheels, and I coordinate that event. So I, I go around, try, I decide the themes, and um, try to work on getting uh, airplanes to show up for it. Is that a fundraising event for the museum? And it's a fundraising event for the museum. So uh, when the public comes in, then it's uh, $10 for adults, $5 for kids. And then uh, that gets you access to the museum, the static displays, and also lunch. Sounds so it's fun. a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's great. And then it's also great just to see all these cool airplanes on the ramp. So we've had everything from um, uh, North America B-25 all the way through a Gulfstream 4 and everything in between. Okay. Uh, so doing wow, that, a wide variety there. That's really cool. So t- tell me a little bit about uh, what the museum is is uh, dedicated to. What do they what do they specialize in? What exhibits do they have and so on? Well, the museum itself, we're dedicated to the, the restoration and preservation of this historic building. That is okay. the main purpose of the museum. And it's, 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 like I said, it's the old Art Deco Museum that was built in uh, 1940. Uh, it was, the hangar right next to it was where the first two squadrons of women's air service pilots were trained. Oh, but right. it served as home. So it was the main terminal where people go through and uh, jump on their Eastern Airlines or Brand FDC-3 right. or uh, Trans-Texas Airways and, and fly off to exotic locales. They go to Dallas and they go on to you know, St. Louis and Chicago or they go out to uh, New Orleans and up through uh, Memphis and Nashville to over to, all the way up to New York. And that building wasn't moved to Hobby Airport. That was where it was always, right? Yep, that's exactly that. The building is is on the same footprint where it was originally in 1940 when it opened. And um, so we we have that. We have uh, a couple airplanes um, in our hangar. Uh, we have a uh, 1942 Lockheed Lodestar uh, business prop liner uh, that we put on static display during our events. We also have a uh, Sikorsky S-58 helicopter that we uh, put on static display as well. And then we also have a uh, beautiful 1947 Cessna 140 that we're raffling off. And I so, saw that on the website. It looks like a beautiful airplane. Oh, it's gorgeous. Polished aluminum with red stripes. And it was actually the uh, winner in Oshkosh 2005 for being the best continuously maintained antique aircraft. Fabulous. Award-winning plane. It's a Cessna 140, so it's tailwheel. Uh, it's got the Continental 85 Force engine in it. And... um it's just an all-around beautiful plane. We just put a new uh, a new interior in it too, so it it's just has that new plane smell. So tell me how uh, one goes about getting a raffle ticket for that. Well, they can uh, visit our website. It's uh, 1940airterminal.org, uh, 1940airterminal.org, and uh, there's instructive information on there. You can uh, email our museum administrator, Megan Licklider. You can email, email her at uh, info at 1940airterminal.org, or just call the museum at, uh, you know, the number's on the website, 713-454-1940. And um, we can, uh, as long as you're in the continental U.S. and you don't have any local laws prohibiting that uh, type of raffle, then we can uh, go ahead and, um, you know, take your credit card over the phone and, and send you a raffle ticket. And we'll be uh, giving away the plane on July 19th at our Wings and Wheels event that um, third Saturday of the month there. Um, and also on that day, we'll be unveiling the plane for next year's raffle. Oh, so this is, you're going to try and make this an annual thing then? Yeah, it's been a very successful fundraiser for us, so we're looking forward to, um, to doing it in the future as well. So we, uh, you know, 
were able to purchase the plane from its previous owner and, and just keep uh, flying around different places to sell tickets. And so uh-huh. we're looking forward to giving away to one lucky winner. What a great idea. Oh, yeah, it's great. It'll be excellent. So, yeah, and uh, to commemorate that, we're uh, sister, so Cessna 140, we're also doing a Cessna 120 and 140 fly-in on uh, July 19th. So uh, The day, yeah, the day you raffle it off, right? Yep, the day we give away, we're doing a Cessna 120-140 fly-in, so if any of your listeners are in the southeastern Texas area and they are uh, southwestern Louisiana and they have a Cessna 120-140 or know somebody who does, just uh, feel free to fly on in the hobby. It's a very, very GA-friendly Class B airport. And one lucky person is going to make that a fly-out weekend. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, sounds really good. So that's my shameless plug for the evening. Oh, yeah, no problem. It sounds like it's for a good cause. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so Aviation-related, it's great. It's preserving history, and uh, it's, it's really, really a, a great um, group of people to be involved with. We have uh, you know volunteers from all walks of life. We have uh, retired airline pilots. We have uh, just aviation enthusiasts, and we have Boy Scouts, you know, young kids that are, that are coming in to, to just learn more about aviation. Hmm. So it's... It's really great. I mean, one guy who um, started flying in World War II and was a bomber instructor and came out of the war for DC-3s for Trans-Texas Airways. And whenever they bought a Continental Airlines, he went to work for them flying uh, DC-9s and um, wound up landing the very first airplane at Intercontinental Airport, the new, the uh, big one now at the north side of Houston. Huh. So it's, it's, uh, I always learn something about talking to that guy, Captain A.J. High. Yeah, that's something that I would, uh, I'd like to have, um, you know, build, build relationships like that. I really don't have, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't have an AOPA mentor. I don't have an ad hoc mentor. And I actually don't spend a lot of time at the airport when I'm not training. And, uh, you know, it's something that. I'll tell you what, Bill. I mean, more, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to, to I have a mentor even from the distance, you know. If, if you're looking for one, I'd just be glad to sit around and talk about flying anytime. Yeah, I think uh, you know. I think that I think that helps people get integrated into um, you know the the small community that is the pilot community. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's one of the motivations that I had for actually doing my podcast was to make sure, almost forcing me to insert myself into the community. You know, mm-hmm. in a way that I knew how to do because of you know technology and so on. And mm-hmm. that's something I've actually technology and community. I mean, that's that's. Oh, that's the other way I stay involved in flying, even though I don't. I only get to fly a couple hours a month. I was just going to mention that you're you're everywhere online when it comes to aviation. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I do. I do make the rounds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how you check as many forums as you're uh, involved in every day. But I've actually had to cut back quite a bit. <laughs> Is that right? You had to get something I, else done. I only done? regularly visit three of them now. Okay. Yeah. Well, what's next? Uh, yeah, main one being the Pilots of America Forum, uh, where you, I, I also ran into you. Yes. And so that's a great group of people there. I have learned so much from those people, and um, and that's another shameless plug I want to do tonight. Is uh, I do want to wish everybody well. That uh, a bunch of the members there and members of several other forums are going to get together this weekend at uh, Gaston's River Resort in Arkansas for a fly-in. And just want to wish everybody there safe travels and a good, a great time this weekend to. Uh, for that uh, fly-in. Now that's and, uh, not too, there too. That's not too terribly far from you. Are you planning on making that trip one of these days? One of these years? Uh, one of these days, yes. I uh, unfortunately have some scheduling conflicts for this weekend. I have some familial obligations too, but um, 
No, we, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be about, well, probably about a uh, four-and-a-half-hour flight by Cessna. Okay. Um, to get up there from here, because, uh, you know, Houston is, we're down on the Gulf Coast. So yeah, we're, that's we're true. We're down in Texas. Yeah. And that's at the very northern edge of Arkansas where it borders Missouri. And Texas isn't small. Texas is not small. No, it's not. <laughs> Any trepidation uh, landing on grass, or is that something you've done before and you're okay with? Um, I have actually never landed on grass. The uh, the insurance rules for my flight school prohibited it, unfortunately. Uh, uh, I don't have any trepidations with it. You know, I've done the stall field training and stuff. I would like to go with a CFI who's experienced in that and mm-hmm. land on grass a couple times with a CFI first. But really, it's, you know, it's, it's just a little bit bumpier than landing on a paver on my stuff. Yeah, and, and just no brakes, right? Exactly. You know, use the aerodynamic braking, keep the nose up in the air a little bit, and you know, hold that tailwheel off as much as you yeah. can. So what's next? Plus, for- I mean, you know, there's also a couple other paved airports right nearby, and plenty of people are willing to offer rides right. to right. from the airport. So. Yep, that's true. Uh, I've been uh, I've been listening to and reading about that uh, that fly-in for um, over a year now, and it sounds like a great time. Yeah, the pilot cast guys really good wants to kind of turn me on to it. it yep. And, uh, yep. And they, when they talked about it, it was, I guess, two years ago now that they did that cast. Yep. And then they did another cast last year as well. I remember that. That was one of the last episodes, I guess, they really put out. Yeah, I got, kind of- I got started a little late on a lot of those podcasts, so I, w- I had this just wealth of material to listen to any time I was in my car. And I'm in my car a lot. And mm-hmm. any time I was in my car, I just had all of this uh, great content to listen to, you know. And then one day, uh, a, a a couple of months ago, I caught up, and all of a sudden I went into withdrawal because then I had to wait each week for I'll somebody to really. <laughs> I only got started on the podcast a little over a year ago, and um, man, it is you know. Once I, I found all the ones I could, and then I, I listened to all the back issues, like uh, the finer points, and yep. uh, listened to the back issues of uh, pilot cast and actual airspace, and uh, and then you know student pilot flight pod log. Yeah. Slow down when I say that. Make sure I get all Will's words in there. <laughs> Will always comes up with these verbose titles. I don't know why he does this. <laughs> yeah. but, um, Very creative. Anyway, yeah, he, uh, so I, I caught up on all his stuff, and, and you know, it's, it's great because you have all these voices in your head, and you feel like you know these people. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really cool to, to be talking to you and, and actually hear the voice talking back to me. Yeah. <laughs> and be yep. talking back to that voice without seeming like you're crazy. Exactly. But, um, yeah, it's great. Then. And, you know, yeah, I went through the same issue, though, where I caught up on a podcast. I'm like, well, what the hell do I do now? Yeah, now, now what? I can't listen to the radio. <laughs> yeah. So, I, um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And then, actually, recently, I found a, a few more new, uh, a few new ones that I hadn't uh, subscribed to before, so I've been catching up on those, too. Yeah, I've, I've been finding some as well, and Greg, Greg's doing a fantastic job. I don't... I don't actually know what happened on his check ride yet. I haven't checked in the past couple of days, but Greg's doing, I think it's uh, the Student Pilot Journal uh, video. Of course, I can't listen to that or watch that when I'm in my car, but whenever I get a chance, what a, what a fantastic podcast that's been. I'm not familiar with that one. I'll have to look for that one. Really, yeah. Um, I believe it's Student Pilot Journal, and he, he basically just uh, takes video on every one of his flights. Okay. He has a mount back there. It's It's really great. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, I've, I've found uh, the Virginia, Virginia Student Pilot Cast was a good one. Yep. Um, there's um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. It's in my iTunes, but it's in the other room. Um, it's the guy I was flying out of San Antonio International. Um, 
Well, we're going to have to compare notes because it sounds like I, I'm not. I don't think I know about the Texas one, so we might have to compare notes and uh, get our fixes. So. Yeah, absolutely, no problem. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot of great material there, and it's it's you know, it's a great way to immerse yourself and just keep thinking aviation, and you yep. get so many insights too. And that's one of the things like you know, I wound up you know I subscribed to the AFPA six month flight training thing before I started my actual training. Um, and I talked to a few different instructors and flew with a couple before I actually, uh, you know, signed on with the one I wound up getting my training from. Mm-hmm. And I thought to them, I said, look, I'm going to be a challenging student to you. I said, I'm not going to set, you know, but you know, the way I look at it is when we're in the airplane, you tell me to jump, I'm going to tell you how high. Right. Okay. When we're in the airplane, your say goes. But I want you, you better be prepared to give me a full explanation for doing what we did uh, while we get back on the ground. Because, you know, there's different ways of doing things. Like, uh, right. you know, he and I had a big argument about uh, using checklists while in the airport pattern. Really? Yeah, you know, and, you know, I went through a little period where I wasn't very good about reading the descent checklist and my landing checklist. And so we'd be on downwind, or downwind turning base, and he'd say, well, so okay, do the landing checklist. I said, I'm not doing that one in the pattern. <laughs> How did that go over? Uh, and I, I want to, you know, we didn't mince words too bad. Because I remember my words. He tells me to do something in the plane, I'm going to do it. So I wound up doing it. I got back on the ground, and he and I had it out. <laughs> and I told him, I said, look, I said, I understand the checklist. His point was that the, the examiner wants to see us using checklists. That is the FAA hot button right now. Right. Uh, runway incursion is a checklist use, which seemed to be kind of counterintuitive, if you ask me. But, um yeah, the runway incursion check is checklist use. And if you don't, if I don't pull up that written checklist with the examiner, he's going to fail me. I said I understand that, but the pattern is the wrong place to do it. I should be able to have my head on the swivel, looking for any traffic out there, hmm. outside the airplane all the time. Yeah. And um, so you know, we finally came to compromise that I needed to. I was from then on. I was supposed to do the descent checklist and read the pre-landing and landing checklist before I got to the pattern. Is it, and is that what you do now? Tell me what that you is do what now. I do now. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah, complete you complete the before landing checklist uh, just before you enter the pattern. Yeah. Well, I don't complete. I just, I read over it and I use uh, the Sea Gumps flow to, right. to do the pre landing checklist. Okay. And I do Sea Gumps about three times while I'm in the pattern. All right. And you don't do you do you cross check that with a written list any time or do you just go through? Well, I mean, it I do the written list. You know, I, I I read the written checklist prior to um, getting to the pattern. And okay. checklists we use. The, the, you know, the thing is, you know, power as necessary, mixture full, rich. You know, car heat on, landing right. light on, and that's basically it. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a short checklist. It's a very short checklist. So you uh, read through that, and like, okay, yeah, I got that. And so, you know, I get into the pattern, and, you know, I use the, the C-GUMS. And for those who aren't familiar, C-GUMS is an acronym that stands for uh, carburetor heat if your aircraft is so equipped, which I, to save money, I fly the old assessment. So, yes, that is, uh, I am equipped with that. Um, you know, gas is on both tanks, uh, undercarriage, which is your landing gear, or we have fixed gear, so I don't have to worry about that. My mixture's full rich. I have a fixed uh my propeller is fixed. Uh, if I had a complex airplane, I'd push the propeller full forward, and then the S is, uh, is seatbelt on and fastened. And so you just kind of run through that, and I do it, you know, when I'm abeam the numbers on my downwind, when I turn base, and then when I turn final. 
So right before I turn to final, I look one more time to make sure the final approach path is clear, do C gums, turn final, and land. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think I'm pretty well covered in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of but people do C gums about three times when they're in the pattern before they land. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely, you know, and by doing that, I mean, you know, when you get to more complex airplanes where you have uh, retractable gear and you have, you know, constant propeller, well, that makes the difference between landing, belly, you know, landing on the belly of the airplane and because you forgot to put the gear down. Right. If you do seek out three times in the pattern, well, you have an undercarriage there and you want to make sure you have those three green lights. It's pretty hard to miss it if you do it three times, yep. right? So tell me... Uh, yeah, people seem to do it. Wh- sorry, what were you going to say? I said, people seem to do it. Yeah. 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 Um, so what's next for you training-wise? Well, um, listen, I've had my license for almost a year now, so I'm, that means I'm just over a year away from my first uh, biannual flight review. So ideally, I'd like to get my instrument rating in lieu of doing a, a BFR, but okay. uh, I have some, some life coming at me pretty soon here, so... Um, looking the next couple of years, my girlfriend and I probably be going to be getting married and stuff. So, don't know if I'll be able to afford the instrument rating then. So, I'll probably just do a flight review. But I do definitely want to get the instrument rating next. Um, and then, um, uh, ultimately, I wouldn't mind getting my commercial, my CFI, not to become a full time CFI, but just to kind of do a part time. Because, like I said, I love teaching. Yeah. And uh, also, I mentioned I'm working on the AGI to. Supplement the income a little bit, get a little money, extra money for flying, and also to you know do something I enjoy and get paid for it. Great, sounds fantastic. When are you going to have that uh, that ground rating? Uh, hopefully by the end of June, I'll have that completed. Uh, coming right up. Yep, my goal is the end of June. I've, I've got the books from the Glime and, and just kind of almost done the fundamentals of instructing book, and uh, going to move on to the other one here pretty soon. Well, that sounds great. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we hang it up tonight? Well, I do have a couple things. Um, you know, we talked about the, the Pods of America Forum, and really, you know, even though I've only met one or two of these people in real life, uh, it really is a family there, and um, we lost a member of that family this past week uh, to lung cancer. And so I want to wish uh, the family and friends of uh, Bob Bruno um, my thoughts and prayers and, and ask everybody, all your listeners to keep him and his family and um, your thoughts and prayers as well. And then also um, another member of our forum, Nick Brennan, just uh, uh, was pretty seriously injured, uh, you know, saving, essentially saving his friend's life. Um, he was out uh, with a couple friends and convinced a friend of his um, not to drive home drunk and uh, promised to escort her home uh, by foot. And in doing so, a drunk driver jumped the curb and came at them. He shoved his friend out of the way and took the full hit of the car. And so he's uh, he's recovering in the hospital as we speak. He's in stable condition. But, um, you know, great job. And, and, you know, Nick, way to be a hero. But, uh, you know, get well soon. Godspeed. So, Appreciate that. Uh, you know, please keep uh, him and his family in your thoughts and prayers as well. So. Uh, those are my big shout-outs, but uh, on that, you know, thank you very much for, for having me on the, on the show here. It's well, thanks for spending the time with, with us. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fantastic getting the uh, perspective of uh, a new pilot, frankly. Oh, yeah. So. That's great. And like I said, congratulations again on the solo. I look forward to, to listening to more episodes and hearing you progress through your training. And <laughs> like I said, I'd be happy to act as a mentor if you want one and, and you know, keep... Just keep me posted. Feel free to give me a call anytime now and, and uh, just bounce questions off me. I appreciate that. 
All right. Thanks again. No problem, my friend. You have a good night. I want to thank PJ again for this great discussion. Even though it was pretty late in the evening for him when we spoke, he was helpful, energetic, and basically a good guy. I might have been grumpy if I were in his shoes, but then again, we were talking about flying, and when does that make anyone grumpy? I'm headed out this week on an annual scuba diving excursion that I enjoy with a large group of my friends, so I don't know if I'll be able to get another episode out this week, but I'll see what I can do. If not, I'll get some of the backlog lessons commented on and try to have some ready to be released shortly after I get back. Until then, adios from the Southwest, and happy flying. Today's audio cast is the song To Be an Angel from the great Canadian band Uncle Seth. You can get more information and subscribe to the Student Pilot audio cast using iTunes, Zune, or any other podcatcher at www.studentpilotcast.com.